Welcome to Witch Yes, a podcast for casual conjurings, witches in training, and Scorpio season. Ooh, I'm in my element, and I'm Alicia Herter. And I'm having dark thoughts I can't share with anyone, Tara Keck. <laughs> That's a normal day for you, though. <laughs> that has nothing to do with Scorpio season. On today's episode, the Grim Reaper, which is in the news, and a spell to get motivated, mama. Get your ass up. Get your head in the game. How are you? How was your Halloweeny? How was your birthday eeny? I'm doing How's that martini? well. The martini's good. The martini's flowing. The tea is flowing. The gossip's flowing. The coffee's flowing. She's wet. We're vibing over here. We're doing a great job over here. You know, my birthday's great as it always is. Halloween is great as it always is. Marcel and I are going as Ken and Barbie, oh. of course, except he's Ken on crutches. Because he just got knee surgery. But he's great. They slapped him out of there. They were like, won't be as good as new. But he'll move. Yeah, he'll he'll walk. He'll walk again. <laughs> like, thank you, sir. His figure skating career is over. Yeah. But how are you doing? How's your Halloween going? What are you dressing up as? So we had a, a strange, like, housing situation. Mm-hmm. So we didn't plan anything because we thought we were going to be moving this weekend turns out we're not moving um we're moving in a couple weeks okay okay that's exciting it's very exciting you're gonna love it the apartment's amazing good Um, it's in east williamsburg so it's like fine but anyway uh so i just like didn't plan anything Mm -hmm. so i'm gonna go as um like funky halloween millennial teacher like you know just like give it that miss frizzle energy okay hand out candy which I feel like is going to make me a little more approachable than maybe perhaps past Halloween costumes. Sexy nun. That maybe was a great not one. not as approachable to, system, or to, uh, to children. Oh, I mean, that's just because of the nuns, not the sexy part. Oh, yeah. I mean. Children hate nuns. No, and they love sex. They love it. They love a little leg. So in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be at the other art fair in Brooklyn. It's off Butler Street, which is in Borham Hill. I just want to let you guys know that if you can't come, you are dead to me. However, if you want to be resurrected, I would say go on to SachiArt.com, put my name into the search category, pick out, I put everything I'm showing at the other art fair on Sachi, pick it out and email the other art fair. I'll have all of this shit on my Instagram page, email them and you can buy stuff via the other art fair online. Don't do it through Sachi because they're going to take 40% of my pay out of that. Okay. Do it through the other art fair. So much. Damn. More than Joe Biden would ever take from me. That's crazy. I just want to let you guys know also that I was featured in a Colossal article uh, a couple weeks ago. Oh, she's so famous. It's kind of a big deal. Um, so you can see some of my work there. And then again, check out Sachi Art. Just put my name in the search bar. And I don't know. Give me a late wedding present. Give Alicia a birthday present so I can buy her a great Christmas present. <gasps> Yay. Birthday. 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 
I love it. And you know what else I love? I love our Patreon. Can we talk about it? I love it so much. We are four Patreon episodes away from 100 Patreon episodes. Who would have thought? I can't even believe it. It's like too many. I like don't know what we're doing with our time. Who gave us permission to go this above and beyond? That'll be a hundred extra episodes of bonus content that you can get for just $5. $5. You can't get anything for $5. Last week, we did the Sinister Seasonings of Sleepy Time Tea, which beautiful title. Good job coming up with that, Tara. That's thank you. so lovely. Where we learned why, as we all knew, tea's bad for you. <laughs> it will kill you. And next week, we're going to have a witch and bitch episode about how someone that I know got into a psychic con artist situation. This is crazy. I was telling Michael about this and he was like, you can't tell me anymore because I feel so conflicted about this person. <laughs> I feel bad for them. I'm also angry. Yeah. Pretty crazy. We go into all the details with, you know, our usual tact and insight. That makes which yes, what it is. They're sensitive. They never laugh at people's expense. <laughs> we tried. We were, we were nice. We were, you know. I don't know. Maybe we weren't. I don't remember what we said at the moment. I like, I like, I black out. I don't know. <laughs> the woman was getting ready to do karaoke. She cannot be held accountable for what she says in the court of law. Not at all. But today we're talking about this mysterious sexual kind of bony man named the grim reaper last name ripper first name grim this guy's kind of sexy i'm into it oh we're gonna get into the sex so end of day death cults cryogenic pods that will let you live forever and our culture's fascination with serial killers alicia we are a species obsessed with death are we not i think so I mean, even in our media, we kill people off so often. Pow, pow, pow. <laughs> What's that about? How can we stop it? What happens after it? And what does it all mean? The ambiguity of death, which leaves the living with a thousand questions, has plagued our species and potentially the homogeneous people way before us. Remember, like, our discussion on the Homo Naledi, who were also thinking about death and afterlife. That was last week's episode, so go back if you haven't heard that. You need to catch up before you come over here. What? are you doing here? A skipping around to whatever interests you? Who do you think you are? There are prerequisites. There are rules and requirements. <laughs> you have to start from episode one. Go back. Please don't. Go back. Don't go there. That's bad. Don't go there. It's charming. It's charming. It's charming. So once I was told by an artist named Adina, who is from Hungary, that there are three times in our lives that we are truly alone. When we are born, when we give birth, and when we die. And though we could be surrounded by family or doctors or piles of little gold coins, like we all will be when we die, even amongst all of that community and wealth, we are deeply alone in that moment. And like, what a terrible and haunting thought, like this consciousness breaking concept that happens to all of us that we cannot touch, yet we all feel. Like, how do you even talk about this feeling, right? Yeah, I have no idea. I figure you can talk to a therapist, but I also feel like, I don't know. You're like $200 better help therapist. Like, <laughs> like it just freaks them the fuck out. Can't do it. 
they start sweating. Mm-hmm. They come to this podcast. <laughs> well, thanks to the lizard minds of those who came before us, who heard the thunder and called it Raijin, who felt the chill of winter and named it Shakok, and felt the love that we had for one another and named her Ishtar. When the ancient humans watched death wash over their loved ones who were here just a moment ago, they called the one who stole them away, the Grim Reaper. Ooh, tell us more. So the personification of death seems largely to be universal among human cultures, and people's visions of death says a lot about how they relate to their departed loved ones in the afterlife. And Christine Quigley's The Corpse in History, she compares the European personification of the Grim Reaper, which is like concealed and mysterious and something to be feared, with the Mexican Grim Reaper, which is fully exposed, no cloak, befriended, and teased kind of about his boniness, right? (laughs) So while Europeans, quote, dread the Reaper, the people of Mexico prefer to fraternize with the enemy and thereby steal away some of its symbolic power. And even now, our visions of the Grim Reaper remain in play, like there's TV shows, cartoons, erotic novels, video games about this figure, and maybe even by the end of this episode, Baby Witch, you might feel different about this creature. Or maybe not. (laughs) Or maybe you're a diehard, I want to fuck this man, Mm -hmm. Baby Witch. The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy, that's all I want, that's all I came here for. I wanted to be that woman. Who? Was there an actual woman? That like, yeah, his like he has like a girlfriend. Oh. There was something like hot about him specifically. I don't know what it is. I think it was like his aloofness. He didn't really care. He had like a bad streak. But he was kind of nice and like goofy. Yeah. The term Grim Reaper first appeared in a book titled The Circle of Human Life in 1847. But of course, this idea of the Grim Reaper or as death in appearance as the Grim Reaper came much earlier in our history. So buckle up, kids. It's a history lesson. Guess what? You've been conned. (laughs) With the frizz? No way! The Grim Reaper seems to have appeared in Europe during the 14th century. It was during this time that Europe was dealing with a pandemic known as the Black Death. You know, the bubonic plague. Remember the one with the fleas on the rats and they went everywhere and it killed like everyone? Was not good. Was not good. (laughs) Famously, ungood time. Famously, bad time. Worst times in history. Might be a Guinness top 10 kind of thing. A bipartisan agreement. (laughs) (laughs) Terrible time. It is estimated that about one third of Europe's entire population perished as a result of the Black Death. One third. Which, you know, there were like five people alive anyway. But that's like, (laughs) what, two and a half left? Two left? I don't know. I don't know how to do math either. There's someone listening who's like, that's so wrong. That's fine. Let me be wrong. So clearly... Death was something that the surviving Europeans had on their mind, and it is not surprising that they conjured an image to represent it, because death, he was a-knocking on their doors. But why the skeletal figure? Why the scythe? Why the robe? Who chose this? Was this Vera Wang? Who is this? (laughs) Skeletons, of course, are symbolic of death, representing the human body after it has decayed, which I feel like we don't think about a lot. Like, I kind of feel like humans, and then in another category, skeletons. Not humans turning into skeletons. The decay part, I kind of mentally skip over. So that's a fun reminder of your own mortality and what happens when you die. But 
The robe is thought to be reminiscent of the robes that religious figures of the time wore when conducting funerary services. They're at your funeral. This is what they're wearing. The scythe is taken from agricultural practices of the time. Harvesters used scythes to reap or harvest crops that were ready to be plucked from the earth. And, well, that's kind of what happens when humans die. They are plucked from this earth never to be seen again. Like our mermaid episode, the Grim Reaper is a player in cultures throughout the world, and everyone seems to have their own take on this guy. And in some countries, that guy means that lady. In Poland, the Grim Reaper took the form of an elderly woman in white robes. Just, you know, to mix it up a little bit. Oh my god, fully inverted, like, girl power. We all know who Anubis is, right? He played a very important role throughout someone's entire journey into the afterlife. This included the mummification and embalming process, the protection of graves and cemetery, and the guiding of souls to the underworld. When a soul is ready to make their trek, they come to Anubis. Anubis will then weigh their physical heart on a scale against a feather to see if this person's soul is worth entering the underworld, which I feel like the odds are not in your favor. No, oh my God, it doesn't matter how much bread you do not eat. It doesn't matter how many yellow squashes. Mm-mm. Another Egyptian deity that takes part of this process is Amit, the devourer of the dead. Amit was made up of the three animals that Egyptians feared the most. He had the head of a crocodile, the front legs and upper body of a lion, and the lower body of a hippopotamus. One's heart weighed the same or less than the feather. Your soul was deemed as pure, and you were able to continue your journey into the underworld. For those whose hearts weighed more than the feather, your soul was given to be eaten by Amit. Like, you're done. Your journey's over. Sucks to suck. No, nothing. Yeah. Like, what are the parameters? Like, do you think you and I would be able to, like, move on to the afterlife? Or do you think we would be eaten? Oh, I'd move on for sure. I've got, like, VIP guest pass. They're letting me through. She's got TSA preaching. Yeah. I paid for that shit. <laughs> You'd be let into. You're a nice, nice girl. But what are the parameters? Like, if, if, because, like, sometimes, like, ancient cultures are like, yeah, like, be a good person, be nice to this person. Also, if you ever eat pork, straight to jail. I mean, what I thought was very interesting about it was it's kind of been used as, like, Christianity is to young, like, Bible school to children, mm-hmm. where it's like, if you act out of line or you kill someone or blah, 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 Amit's going to fucking eat your soul, dude. Like, yeah. that's terrifying. Yeah. Like, literally the worst place. Like, you are not securing your trip after death. It's over for you. I don't know. I'm pretty naughty. What is, like, one naughty thing you've done? We are all, like, a jury of your peers. And me and the baby witches are going to lay down judgment in this moment. And we're going to weigh your, that heart of yours. So when I was a little kid, I did think 9-11 was my fault because I wasn't a good enough girl. So there's a lot of naughty things I've done. I don't know. I was curt with the kid trying to sell me gum on the subway yesterday. I don't know. Like, does Amit, like, bring that into play? Like, is he looking at every option? No, he's looking at if your heart on the scale with the feather, do you got a fat heart or not? <laughs> How dare you <laughs> insinuate. <laughs> Honestly, anti-woman of you. I, I mean, a little bit. Amit sounds like an anti-woman kind of crocodile, lion, hippo situation. I don't want to bedraggle this topic 
too far. But there's a lot of cultures that say sex before marriage, un unforgivable sin. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is there a um, confession situation in the Egyptian? Like, I just need to be forgiven for the things I did when I was young and stupid and prone to acne. I know. And all that sex did not make the acne go away, did it? No, I tried desperately. Honestly, your best bet is you better hope all that sex made your heart, like, work out and, like, get it a little <laughs> teeny bitty tinier. I wasn't coming at all. Oh, man. I don't know. It might not be looking good for you. Fuck. And I'm over here being like, no, I have a straight ticket. I'm going to pat Amit on the little fucking head, give him a little kiss on his crocodile lips, and head right to the back. I have people waiting for me. I have a reservation for brunch. <laughs> I called. I called. <laughs> we also have Pesta, the plague hag. Pesta is the personification of the Black Death in Norway. She was an elderly woman wearing a black hood and a dark red skirt. Pretty like goth. I really like it. With her, she carries a rake. Because fuck your sides. She's got a rake. She's going to fucking mess your shit up with her rake. And wherever she goes... Pestilence follows. Legend had it that Pesta would travel the countryside, spreading disease from place to place. If you caught her sweeping with her rake, then your whole village would die of the plague. She's not a good one. That's a, no, that's a bad lady to run into. Celtic and Irish mythology had the Morrigan, who was associated with war and fate. The Morrigan would be able to predict the outcome of a battle, whether it's victory or death. She would take the form of a crow or would be seen before the battle washing blood-stained clothing. But if you see the Morrigan, you have been fated to die. She is the Grim. It's over for you. And many believe that the Morrigan is what eventually inspired the idea of a banshee. Oh, that's so interesting. Then let's move continents. In the Americas, in Mexican folklore... We have Santa Muerte, which means Our Lady of Holy Death. Over the last 100 years, she has become a far more prominent figure with her rapidly growing cult and religious movement. She has people that are lining up for her because they love her. She's a female skeleton dressed in a long robe and carrying a scythe. Her attire is much more colorful than the Grim Reaper, but that's also because she is seen as more of a celebratory figure. You're done with this life. You did it. That's exciting. Mission accomplished. And now you're going on to the next life where so many of the people you miss are at. Ugh. And if you travel further south to Brazil, Argentina, Colombia, and Paraguay, we have San Le Muerte, otherwise known as Saint Death, which I think is a cute little name. This one is a male skeleton carrying a scythe. Both Santa Muerte and San Le Muerte were deemed pagan figures by the Catholics who inhabited those places like back in the day. However, nowadays, San Le Muerte is considered a Catholic saint, but Santa Muerte is not. Probably has to do with some sexist ass shit. Oh my God, that's not very like Barbie of you. What the fuck? That's very anti-Barbie. What the fuck? And in some areas of Mexico and Guatemala, they tell stories of San Bascalito, or the king of the graveyard. And this guy was a skeleton in robes, of course, wearing a crown. And he's just hanging around, having a good time. <laughs> then, jumping over to the waters, there's Baron Sandy from Haitian Voodoo. He is associated with death and fertility. 
Baron Sandy has an extremely distinct appearance. Sometimes he is a skeleton and his face is painted to resemble a skull. He has a top hat, black tailcoat, and a fancy cane that make him a dapper-looking boy. His appearance was meant to resemble a body that was prepared and dressed for a Haitian-style burial, which was a time of mourning but also a celebration of that person's life. And this celebration was the main component of Baron Sandy's personality. He was a party guy. He loved cigars and rum and mortal women. Despite his drunken foolishness, Baron Sandy greets the dead. That's his job. He digs the grave of the deceased and says, you know, hello to them. Come this way. If Baron Sandy refused to dig your grave and greet you, then that person cannot die. Like you're trapped there. You might be trapped in like a ghost kind of world or something, but you are not dead. Or maybe you're a zombie. That was what it said. You cannot die, my dude. Like, I'm just like, how though? I'm here. Not really. I guess, I guess not. If the Baron has taken a liking to you, he may allow you to cheat death. Baron Sandy harnesses a power that we haven't seen in any other Grim Reapers yet. He can take your life, but he can also restore your life. Does he like sassy white women in their early 30s? I think he loves charisma. I mean, he loves mortal women. So, wow. Does he like women who are really good at singing landslide by the chicks? Oh, I'm sure he loves the chicks. Him and his rum and his cigar, like just listening to the chicks. That's all you want in a party. <laughs> Baron Sandy was married to Mama Brigitte. Mama Brigitte protects tombs, gravestones, cemeteries, and any other place where the dead reside. And over the years, she's been connected to the Irish, Bridget. Mama Brigitte also loves rum and puts a little bit of chili peppers in her drink, just in case you were curious. She loves a little spice. She's a spicy woman. That's so interesting. Oh, she loves a spicy margarita. Mmm, delicious. Okay, so moving over to, we're going to hop a couple more oceans over to East Asia. So East Asian countries like China, Korea, Vietnam, and Japan don't seem to me to have like a soul collector type of Grim Reaper, but rather have a complicated bureaucracy run by uh, the king of hell. Very fun, <laughs> imaginative, um, lots of paperwork. So when Buddhism was making its way across China, it brought with it this Hindu character called Yama, who judges the souls. And in Hinduism, he's called Yamaraja, or Dharma Raja, but in Buddhism, he starts off just as King Yama, okay? So he wears a little judge's hat, and then based off of how you treat others, you get justly reincarnated, okay? So it's kind of like if you're a bad boy, you get to become a cockroach, and then if you are a good girl, then maybe you get to become a house cat in like a very rich family. Ooh. In Buddhism, you only get sent to Yama if you were abusive as like kind of like a last-ditch effort for you to like kind of wrap up your shit and move on. But then as the religion moved across China, he transformed into beings like King Yangluo in China, Enma Daio in Japan, Diem La Vong in Vietnam, and King Yorma in Korea. Sometimes these kings of hell would send out emissaries. Okay, they're like, I've got a lot of people to see. Let me send out my assistants. And these yes men would collect souls who didn't want to come to hell for judgment. But it seems to me that most souls like provided they don't turn into hungry ghosts, make their way down to hell uh, on their own for reincarnation. There's a ton more to discuss on the kings of hell and like the acid trip that is Tibetan King Yama. Very scary. <laughs> so that's like for another episode. But 
If we were to see Asia's cultural relationship to Yama and his avatars as indicative of their relationship to death, like what is death if not another paper to sign an initial on the conveyor belt of reincarnation? However, all these other relationships to like the afterlife are like you only get one life. Then you go to the bad place or the good place, right? Mm -hmm. And then that is more of like a you have this individual relationship with this reaper that helps you transition to this new form of life. I need a guide. I need an adult. Yamaraja, the Hindu king of hell, he's got like too much shit to do, right? So he's he's lining up serving karmic justice to the masses and he doesn't have time to go out and collect souls who aren't down to clown with hell. So he sends out his men in black agents called Yamadutas. The Yamadutas are pretty monstrous looking, but also super fucking ripped, Ooh, right? Okay. Like, oh my God, these guys like have a black card to plan a fitness. But there's a lot of discussion of who is the Reaper in this situation? Is it King Yama or is it the Yamadutas? And this is where I'd like to introduce you to the character of the Psychopomp. Have you heard of this before? Well, I have, but I don't know what it is. Right? I was like, I know I've heard this. It feels steampunky to me. Mm-hmm. Like, it feels like weird nerd language. Like I should wear it. Oh, yes, yes. Um, but the word psychopomp comes from the Greek word psychopompos, which means guide of souls. Oh. So the psychopomp is just a guide. Like, he doesn't pass judgment. Um, they don't kill you. They arrive when it's your time and then show you to the afterlife. Okay, like a historical tour guide. Exactly, exactly. And uh, this is where we take off your skin, and then this is where we take out all your guts, and this is where the big scary demon god judges whether or not you get to live again. Okay. Or we feed you to the crocodile. No. <laughs> so psychopomps don't have to be people. In a lot of cultures, they're actually birds. Ooh. So think ravens, vultures, and crows. Like, they can also be dogs deer, horses, you name it. However, there's like a lot of um, visual imagery around the world of circling of birds being these psychopomps, right? Like the manifestations in our world of the psychopomp. The Islamic and Christian angel of death, Azrael, is firmly labeled as a psychopomp because he doesn't decide who dies. The Abrahamic God tells him who's going to die. And all his job is to do is to go down and like usher you up to heaven. His Hebrew equivalent is Malak Ahmaveth, and both are said to carry a scroll on which they write your name the day you're born and then erase your name when they collect your soul. Like on a whiteboard, just go, cheat. So what are we going to do about this situation, okay? This rampant death reaper Mm -hmm. pandemic. I hope you have the answers. In case you haven't been listening, you got really caught up doing your dishes. Guys, newsflash, we're all going to die. You heard it here first. And if you're starting to fill with dread, like I am right now having this podcast, lucky for you, you are not the first person to be confronted with existential dread. That's what this whole episode is about. Alicia and I looking into the face of death. And if you lived in 14th century Europe, you were also looking into so many faces of death, right? As Alicia said, Europe was going through the horrors of the bubonic plague. However, a hundred years later, these weird little pieces of art start to come out. And they aren't niche, but they aren't like super mainstream either. So that makes me think that this is like the perfect litmus test for the social undercurrent of how people are feeling at the time about death. And the votes are in, baby. 
Death can fucking dance. Oh, yes. The earliest depiction of the dance of death is in the form of a French fresco from 1400. And it's mid. It's fine. I won't write home about it. But the ones that I'm super interested in are these, like, absolutely hilarious woodcuts. These woodcuts depict death himself rousing the corpses and bones of the deceased for a party as they make their way to the afterlife. And now looking at these images, how can you tell death apart from the rest of the dead? He's the one playing the music, dude. He's the DJ. Oh, DJ death. DJ diggity death. In the 15th century, German woodcuts reproduced by Albert Strom depict three corpses dancing on a grave trying to wake up their recently deceased buddy whose tits are fully out and has her hand up like, hey girl! And to the left is Death playing his little horn, his little vuvuzela. Good. A titty should be out. If it's a good dance, your titties are out. Oh, 100%. You're hot. The molly? Rolling. Mm-hmm. So in a lot of these depictions, you'll see Death can play drums. Of course, with all the bones. He can play xylophone. With the bones. And Death, like, loves his job. Google 1400's Dance of Death art, and you'll come across a very proud, grinning skeleton having the time of his goddamn life. Why do you think Death likes this so much as a job? What career benefits are you getting from being Death? I mean, great dental, clearly. Yeah. There is some kind of bone teeth whitening situation going on, making you Mm -hmm. look superb. I mean... Is it that, like, death loves customer service? Like, he loves connecting with people? I would think that most of your clients would arrive and not be too happy. No, they're mad they're there. But I wonder if it's, like, seeing people at their most vulnerable and then being like, you know what, though? It's okay. Maybe it's something along those lines. Death is a $200 a month better help therapist. Just, like, dredging up the worst of the worst. (laughs) Your problems are over. Yeah. Now we're just going to dance. And when I was looking at these Dance of Death woodcuts, I was so reminded of the Calavera prints by Jose Guadalupe Posada. So Jose Posada was a political artist in Mexico during the mid-1800s, and his Calavera engravings heavily influenced the Mexican Calaveras that the indigenous people of Mexico already had a familiar relationship with their personification of death when they were colonized by Spain in the 1400s. Right around the time that these dancing death images were being made. Okay. Mm. So could a dance of death print made it on a ship bound for Mexico further affirming that death is literally a party? Like, I don't know. I don't know. This is just my fan theory. I'm just a little baby. Sounds like it. In Grim Reaper, Working Stiff by Kristen Moore, Moore follows her discussion of the dancing death with the same question I'm going to ask you. Mm Mm-hmm. If death is a party animal, if he can dance, and if he's in a band, does death fuck? Oh, yeah. Or at least he wants to. (laughs) Desperately. Doesn't mean he's getting it, but I think he definitely wants to be fucking. So the answer is yes. Death fucking fucks, and he is horny for you. Oh, for good. Which is strange, because I heard when you die, you poop your pants. And I don't know how erotic that is, but maybe death's into, like, some weird shit. I don't know. But at the same time as the dancing death, there is this very sexual depiction of death also emerging. And there's this whole like subgenre of art that men tend to paint called Death and the Maiden. Have you heard of this? No. Very big in like basically all of art history, but super big like post 
surrealism. So the maiden is very like thin and font uh, with like this woman who's on the precipice of true womanhood, but is still like so young and hairless, like just like prime, like 15 year old pedophilia. She's pure yet ripe with sexual energy that death finds irresistible. Interesting. And even just looking at these two alternative relationships to death, I was kind of struck with how separate it is from my American view of death, which is like so scary. It's just like he's <laughs> such a scary man. He's not sexy at all. Mm-hmm. And Kristen Moore mentions the research of Felipe Ares, who proposed that the fear of death didn't manifest in the West in the way that it is today until about the 1900s. So, quote, this is when dying was removed from the home, sanitized and made unseen and unseeable. And in this sense, for Aries, the modern fear of death is really the fear of the unknown. Okay, so when I was looking at Alicia's research, which mentions the book, The Circle of Human Life, when the Grim Reaper first appeared, this book is published in what? 1847, mm-hmm. correct? And I was like, when did humans start like going away to die, right? And the first sanatorium for tuberculosis opened up in 1850. Oh, interesting. Those timelines. Western Europe would go on to lose 4 million people to tuberculosis in the coming decades. By 1910, one-third of 15 to 34-year-olds in just England and Wales would be infected with TB. And a lot of them would die. And I think a lot about, like, our experience with COVID, like, loved ones going away to a hospital and just never coming home. And suddenly death, like, isn't a transition. It's, like, something – it's supposed to be something that you're ushered into around the comfort of loved ones, but death has turned into something that steals you away, Mm. right? It's not something that's meant to be seen because it's wicked. It happens in private. Interesting. Our final section is let's get witchy with it, which this topic for me was kind of hard. Like Alicia mentioned like several gods that are engaged with this, but I was like, what's accessible? Mm -hmm. And I think that when we were approaching this topic, we really wanted to stick with just Grim Reapers and not just murder ourselves in plain daylight by expanding it to like all death gods or the whole entire concept of death. Like we would be here for 10 million years. And there's a lot of literature on how to commune with death gods, right? But we're not talking about King Yama. We're not talking about Hades. We're talking about the Grim Reaper. So that just kind of left us with, like, the ones Alicia's spoken about and the one that's about to follow, which is the Horned God. Have you heard of this? No, but I don't know if I like it. So the Horned God, don't be afraid. Okay. He can't hurt you, is the male energetic deity of Wicca his female energetic counterpart being the goddess. Well, that's good. That makes me feel better. That's what I was kind of saying. One of our listener questions was, let me find it. It's which ones should we work with and which ones should we avoid by Momo? And I was kind of like, if he's good enough for the goddess, like he's good enough for the baby witches, right? <laughs> he's good like enough she for She wouldn't us. lead us astray. Absolutely. The horned god, similar to the other gods we've talked about in this episode, isn't a traditional Grim Reaper because he's the god of life and death, light and darkness. He's got a lot of jobs. He's got a lot of shit on his plate. But in some circles, he does carry the souls of the recently departed to the afterlife, right? So I was really interested in, like, being the usher, Mm -hmm. being the guide, like, being there to move someone from 
life to death. I mean, when I die, I want someone to pick me up and take me where I'm going to go because I'll just be lost. Of course. Carry me. I want the feeling of like you fall asleep in the car and your grown-up has to carry you back mm-hmm. inside. It's a good feeling. A lot of Abrahamic traditions view the world as linear, right? Like the world began and then the world's going to end and there's good and evil, yada, yada. Wicca is one of the religions that views the world as cyclical. And the life of the horned god is very cyclical. To keep it short, he's born, he dies, and he's reborn every year like clockwork. In Gardenerian Wicca, he's viewed as the lord of death and resurrection. And some denominations say he dies on Lunasa, and some say he dies on Maybampa again. I'm just a little baby. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, who's to say? Just choose one and commit. When working with the horned god, I want you to think like, Earth elements, masculinity, the forest, the wilds, dirt, dirty fingernails, digging a hole in the woods to shit in. He's got like big stag energy. Think things with horns, rams, bulls, all of it. Probably moose. I'm not 100% (laughs) sure. Also, this guy, I don't know why, he loves drums. Oh. I don't know. I I saw it as kind of like a metaphor for the beating of the heart, but like you're, you're drumming. The horn god, he's there. He's joining your drum circle. He's about it. He likes the vibrations. He likes to be right next to the speaker at a concert. Oh, yeah. He's feeling it. He's also considered a god of the hunt. What are other ways that you can honor gods of death and dying? One thing you can do is learn about death and dying. I came upon this concept recently that entities and spirits and gods, they love to be worshipped, right? They love reverence. They love gifts. They love jewels, diamonds, sweets. They just want some attention. And they love being honored. But something else that they love is to have their energy and their values projected out into the universe. And the way that you do that is to learn about them and live your life in their image. So if you want to honor a god of death, learn about death and dying. Don't look away. Don't like fall prey to this privatization like You're not allowed to look at this. This is like an ugly, shameful thing. When actually it happens to all of us, and if we were to open up our hearts and our homes to this concept, it wouldn't be so scary and we'd feel closer to one another. So don't push it to the edges of your life and look for the many endings all around you. Learn about the privatization and exclusion of cemeteries, which used to be places of community gatherings. Something I was going to mention earlier, but forgot to, is that the church banned dancing in cemeteries in the 1200s and then reaffirmed that banishment in the 1400s, what comes out right after that? Dancing death, right? Like this whole idea of celebrating is ingrained in our DNA. Talk to your loved ones about where they want to be when they die. Like, do you want to die at home or in a hospital? In many ways, we are also guides for our loved ones during this great transition. In some energetic practices, the soul leaves the body from the feet up through the head. So when my friend Deborah's cat, Girly Girl, was dying, we sat on the couch and massaged her head. And because the last thing to go, like your last sense, like you're going to lose like your sight and your taste and your smell and your feeling, the last thing to go is your hearing. So we sang to her to like let her know that we were there. So you can see this as like working hand in hand with angels of death in a way that is very comforting and nurturing and loving. Just to close out, most of our Patreon questions had to do with, like, death rituals and gods of death. So we're saving those questions for, like, sort of larger topic episodes about that. Mm-hmm. So I just want you guys to know that we, we did see your questions and we do cherish them. But 
we couldn't fit them in this episode. This was such a good, like, educational episode. Mm-hmm. And fun. And fun. And scary. It's so scary. My skeleton. Oh, <laughs> disgusting. Don't even think about it. But yeah, how are you feeling about the Grim Reaper? I'm still down with this guy. He can come over. He can come to Christmas. He can make out a little bit. It's fine. Why not? There's truly no reason why not. Yeah. He's got a job. He's not just some bum on the street. <laughs> Honestly, way better than most of the men on Tinder and Bumble. Yeah. Probably has his own car. Has his own business. Has his own business. Is an entrepreneur. Yeah. He's having a great time. Like, how many men in your life do you meet that love their jobs? Not that many. So true. And because it is so true, it's time for us to move on to... Which is in the news. Ah, yay! Oh my gosh, so excited. All right, in honor of yesterday's All Hallows' Eve, today we are looking at the top 10 best witches in cinema history. All movies, all the time. And this is from Far Out Magazine, and we will be critiquing it and perhaps making our own list from this list. So let's get started. At number 10, we have The Love Witch from the film The Love Witch. Have you seen it, Tara? No, but I know all of the gifts. It is so boring. But it's that film that was like all pink. And her mm-hmm. thing is that she's a witch who makes men fall in love with her. And, you know, the entire aesthetic of the movie is a soft, light pink. And which is pretty incredible and iconic in a fashion moment. But I do agree number 10 is a great place for her. Let's put her there. Let's not think about her ever again. So number nine, it says the Sanderson sisters from Hocus Pocus. I do not agree with this. I don't agree with this. Honestly, I think the Sanderson sisters should be number one. They are iconic, played by three great actresses and a Halloween staple. I bet there are more Sanderson sisters sold at a Halloween, like Party City, than any other witch that appears on this list. So I really think it's rude more than anything. (laughs) Like I'm kind of offended. Shows your ignorance. So number eight on their list is Mother Marcos from Suspiria. Have you seen that movie? No, I haven't. No, it's fine. Mother Marcos is played by Tilda Swinton, which, yes, she's very witchy. But honestly, I also found this movie very boring. I couldn't get through it. So I never finished it. Apparently, Mother Marcos is a huge hulking figure. Her naked body is covered in boils and abscesses, and she wears a pair of sunglasses so that you never see her eyes. But I don't think I'm convinced that she should come before the Sanderson sisters. You, Tara, were like, who is she? Yeah, I've never, I've never heard of this. And I've heard of the Love Witch. Yeah. So honestly, I think we should bump Mother Marcos to 10 or 9. Yeah. Get her out of here. Number 7, Kiki from Kiki's Delivery Service. So, I mean, you might have more thoughts about her placement than I do, Tara, but... Kiki's very magical girl, cute, especially with kitty cat Gigi by her side. I think seven works, but how do you feel about this placement? I mean, I don't want to take my own brown-haired girl in a big city prejudice to the to the podcast. I mean, she's not number one. Yeah. I feel like she's top five, though. Okay. Because she's like, she was so integral to so many, like, young girls in the 90s, mm-hmm. but not in the same way, like, the Sabrina's, the Marnie's, right? Yeah. Like, it also feels weird, though, to have her before Sanderson sisters. Right? 
because she is niche enough. I don't know. I know. This list, you, this list was made by two dudes. That's probably why it's fucking yeah, up so hard. I was going to say this list was written by a man. Oh, yeah. Two men to make it worse. Number six, the three witches from the tragedy of Macbeth. So, yeah, okay. The witches in Macbeth are creepy and cool. But they're literally on screen or on the stage for like five minutes, ten minutes tops. I don't know if they're number six material. I mean that that verse, double double toe in trouble. I mean that's a good that's a good line. That's fire. Maybe like a seven or eight. Yeah, it's giving seven. Yeah. Number five, Professor McGonagall from the Harry Potter series. Which I have big qualms about this one because McGonagall is a badass. But now you're introducing the entire world of Harry Potter and only choosing McGonagall. Like, what about Hermione, who is the brightest witch of her age? What about Bellatrix the Strange? So I'm very confused about bringing Harry Potter witchcraft into this list and think this list would be better without it. Yeah, I just feel you can't open that can of worms. Yeah. So I would say instead of number five, Professor McGonagall, maybe we throw in like um, Marnie's grandma from Halloween Town. Oh, grandma. Yes. Yeah. Because they didn't even place on this list. That's so crazy. I literally watched that movie like a couple of days ago. And Marnie's grandma says, magic is just looking at something you want and letting yourself have it. I love that. And I started to tear up <laughs> in a way I could not understand. That's such a vibe. Manifesting that. Manifesting that energy for all of us. Number four, the evil queen from Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. So I can appreciate this one since you wouldn't expect her to show up on the list. I don't know if she's top five material, but she did kill Snow White's father and then banish Snow White from her castle. So it's some like boss bitch energy. And she has that iconic line, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all or who's the fairest witch of them all. And that's basically the mantra all of us repeat in the morning. So I, I can get behind it, but I don't know about number four. Yeah, I mean... It's also strange, evil queen from Snow Witch, yet poison apple, mm -hmm. like very witchy. But then I also think like Maleficent. Yeah. And Maleficent turned into a dragon. And she was then played by Angelina Jolie. Yeah. Who Who is evil queen played by? Some nameless hat. Exactly. From 1938. I know. My thoughts exactly. Number three, the Wicked Witch of the West from The Wizard of Oz. Which I say absolutely not. Come on. I was never a Wizard of Oz, like, fan, really. But I don't think she should rank number three. I'd like, sure, she's iconic, but is she iconic because of Wicked? That might be why she's iconic. Mm -hmm. But she's green, mm -hmm. and we also know, like, she has the large nose, and it's like an anti-Semitism. It's very weird. But she does have some good one-liners, like, I'll get you my pretty and your little dog, too, which I feel like inspired the Scooby-Doo saying. What is that? It's like... Oh, get you meddling kids and your You meddling kids dog. and your <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean she is iconic, however, she's not a gay icon like the Sanderson sisters. True. Like I just it feels I'm now placing these men as elder boomer men <laughs> who are like, what do women want? Maybe. Number two, the witch in the 2015 film The Witch. And while I love this movie, the actual witch maybe does have five minutes on screen time total in the whole film. And I'm not sure if that warrants a number two placement. 
I think we're just having a fundamental misunderstanding of what a witch is. A witch is. Yeah. Like, is it because it's not scary witch because Wicked Witch of the West isn't really scary. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. And number one on this list is the Blair Witch from the Blair Witch Project. And so I like the idea as of the Blair Witch as number one because you never actually see the Blair Witch, which is a pretty interesting concept in its own regard. Like, what does the Blair Witch look like? Was she even real at all? Mm-hmm. Is she just a figment of our collective imaginations? I think that's pretty powerful. I don't know if it should come before the Sanderson sisters. <laughs> Maybe it's a good number, too. Yeah, I think that I do love... The first witch I thought of, actually, when you started this list, was the Blair Witch. Mm. And I was very interested to see like what that placement would be. Yeah. I now think this is a gen x like i'm looking at okay blair witch was it like super integral was that 1997 like yeah. that and like it was the first of its kind yeah. right so i could see that being like a very pivotal moment in the psyche of what a witch is mm-hmm. and then trying to stay current with the 2015 film the witch yeah but maybe they would have been too old to appreciate the Sanderson sisters for what they were for our generation. Maybe. I mean, that could make sense. Or looking at it, like what are the witches that like changed cinema at the time? Like I can see the evil queen placing if we looked at it strictly from that regard. Mm -hmm. But I mean, the love witch didn't change cinema. It tried something cool. Yeah. It took over Tumblr. Mother Marcos didn't. No. Who is she? And I mean, the tragedy of Macbeth witches were really cool, but they didn't change cinema. So what are the witches that were left off? Well, I mean, we didn't even see anyone from Practical Magic. Correct. And also, yes, Marnie, Marnie's grandma. Mm-hmm. Oh, what about, um? oh, I can't remember her name, but the witch in the second Pirates of the Caribbean. She was like kind of the voodoo oh. one. Tia Dalma. Oh, Tia Dalma. You're talking about, it's not, it starts with a C. Calypso. Calypso. Mm-hmm. But maybe she's a sea goddess, so I don't know. Which goddess? Which goddess, yeah. But she was like the goddess. I'll also talk about Hecate. Mm -hmm. Oh, the craft. Craft isn't on here. Oh, my God. Jesus fucking Christ. It's also, it's interesting to me to have the witch from the Wizard of Oz, but then, like, not the witch from Wicked, like, not Elphaba, Mm -hmm. which feel very intertwined. Yeah, I know. So I don't know. Baby witches, what do you think of this list? What would you have done differently? Who do you think's missing from this list that definitely deserves their respect and their reverence onto this list? I know who. Who? Us. Us? We're missing from the list. We aren't in a movie. Except our life's a movie. And we're the main characters. Beep bop bop bop. And this has been Witches in the News. Thank you. You're welcome. Oh, she's sweating. I'm warm. She's sweating like a, like a woman sweating. <laughs> Women divas don't sweat. They're just dewy. Thank you, Miss Elversage. All right, baby witches. I got a question for you. Mm-hmm. And don't lie. Be honest. How is that New Year's resolution going, baby? It is November. How are we feeling? Ooh, uh, we only got like two months to like turn the whole year around. Yeah. We're at crunch time. Mm We've got finals coming up. So we only have a couple more episodes before the end of the year. Is there anything 
on this list that needs a little TLC. So here's a spell by moodymoon.com to get you over that hump and motivate you to the end of the year. So we can finish it out strong. Bridesmaids beautiful. I love that. That's what we need right now. Here's what you need. A clean glass jar. I would say make it a little one. A piece of paper and a pencil. Either ground coffee or coffee beans. Do not give me wet coffee. (laughs) Even more important, a dried orange peel. Gang, it is about to be citrus season. Get the peel from your first orange or clementine. Dry her out on the windowsill or put that bitch in the oven. You're saying it's easy. Yeah, you do the first. You just do it right now. Go get it right now. It's fair. Okay. I guess if you're on low motivation, maybe it's not that easy. (laughs) The year really is not going that well for some of us. You need an orange candle for energy. Okay. And then a new moon. And there are only two more new moons in 2023. You've got November 13th in a couple weeks and December 12th. So you got to get it together. We don't have time. Mm -hmm. On the night of November 13th, or if you procrastinated, the night of December 12th, under the cover of darkness that accompanies a new moon, light your orange candle. By candlelight, write down the goals you need the universe to kick you in the ass about. Fold your piece of paper like a hamburger or a hot dog, I don't really care, (laughs) and place it into the jar. Pour your coffee grounds or beans on top of that paper and bury it in that powerful go-go dirt. Then add a couple of pieces of dried orange peel on top. If you do not have dried orange peel, you cannot use fresh fungus is not the energy of a capable and motivated witch. You're going to need some monostat if you have that. (laughs) Finally, close the jar and seal it with some of the wax from your orange candle, okay? And carry this with you throughout your day. Okay. This jar? This little tiny jar. Put in your purse. Put in your pocket. Put on a, if it's tiny enough, put on a necklace. Eat it. Please don't eat it. Okay, it sounds like coffee beans are the better choice then. The ground coffee. Just in case this little jar breaks in your purse. Oh, for sure. But I love it. And that has been a motivation spell by moodymoon.com. Thank you. Thank you. I think it's so easy and nice. And like, also, I can imagine this little jar of coffee beans and orange slice on my desk and just like how nice it would smell. Mm -hmm. Be like, let's use that coffee energy and get fucking into it. You know what else I would love to get fucking into? What? Being grateful. Oh, I love gratitude. We would like to thank our producer, Marcel Perez, our creative director, Mallory Jordan, and Kevin McLeod for the music that we use in the intro and outro each week for each episode. From the very beginning. From the very beginning of time. Five years strong. I'd really like to thank everyone who's written an Apple podcast review or subscribed to our channels on Spotify or wherever you get podcasts. Head over to Apple Podcasts. Give us five stars. I want all five of them. <laughs> we deserve it. Birthday stars. And then stars. write something. Birthday stars. And please write something. It costs you nothing, and it means absolutely everything to us. It doesn't mean anything to me unless you write something. The algorithm doesn't give a fuck. Absolutely true. If you want to find me on social media, I'm on Instagram at Alicia period Herder. And if you want to find Tara. On social media, on Instagram, I'm her lovely face and Please come see me at the other art fair in a couple weeks. Yes. And Witch Yes, the podcast is on Instagram at Witch Yes. Share an episode in your stories. Tag us and we'll feature you on our stories. We love sharing those videos, those memes, those spells. It's a fun time over there, especially during Halloween season. This is when we're thriving. 
And if you still want more of a fix, of a witchy fix, you can head to our Discord server that we have the link to in our show notes. And if you hate social media, which that's fine, I, I get it, you can always contact us at via email at witchyespodcast at gmail.com. Only nice things. Only nice things. Love reacts only. Don't correct me. You can correct me. I'm not replying. Tell us how beautiful we are. Please. And then, finally, baby witches, if you want to be there for number 100, one big fat Benjamin, at the end of this year, you can find us on Patreon. $5 Patreon witches and above are getting two extra episodes a month. Ooh. That's amazing. On top of that, they get to ask us questions. Love they that. know what the topics are. They get to suggest episode ideas. They get to know about new merch before things drop. Okay? There's tons of cool stuff. You're going to love it. Check out our show notes. And, of course, if you're on Instagram, you can go to Lincoln bio. I don't know. The link is everywhere. <laughs> Come join the fun. And this has been so fun, which means this has been Which Yes. is Halloween. Yesterday was Halloween. Halloween. Halloween.